Hello, this is Aaron Christopher, and welcome to Accidental Plan. In this episode, you're going to hear my conversation with race car driver and entrepreneur, Zach Robichon. This episode has been divided into two parts. In the first part, you're going to hear me talk to Zach about his youth and how his competitive nature really defines who he is today. And in the second part, you're going to hear Vince talk to Zach about everything it takes to be a pro driver today. Welcome, this is Aram Christopher, and uh, I'm excited to be able to share another episode of the Youth Podcast with me, Vince Scotty. How are you doing? Doing good, amigo. And with us on the phone is Zach Robichon. He's a race car driver, business owner, coach, entrepreneur. Zach, welcome. Thanks so much for taking the time to be on. Thanks for having me. Definitely uh, not as glamorous as you make it sound, but uh, certainly a, a pretty fun life up until now. So let's start from the beginning. Where were you born and where did you grow up? I was born in Ottawa. I grew up in Ottawa. I have, I have one older sister who has also sort of lived a, a unique life compared, like, like myself. She's a, she's a professional hip-hop dancer. My parents met in Ottawa. Dad's from Ottawa. My mom's from the East Coast. I'm from New Brunswick. And I basically grew up spending my time either at the house in Ottawa or actually up at Trombla, where, where I live now, where I grew up ski racing. So between, between Ottawa and Trombla is definitely where, where my roots are and where I spent a, a big chunk of my childhood. What would you say would be a, a word that would describe your, your youth? Competitive. Why, why do you choose that word? As long as I can remember, whenever I did a sport, uh, I always did it competitively. Like I started skiing when I, was, when I was three years old, and I think the first time I did a race, I was four or five. And uh, even when I did all, all the other sports growing up, I played soccer and, and then eventually moved into kart racing. Whenever, whenever I did a sport, I always sort of committed myself to doing, doing well at it. And I think a lot, looking back at when I was younger, a lot of what I did revolved around my, my sporting life as well, which is why that, that kind of jumps out to me because that was so important to everything else in my life was basically my, my sport. So that's why the competitiveness kind of kind of seems like a good fit. Were the sports something that you saw and you said, I want to do? What was that kind of introduction like for you? For certain sports, definitely like with skiing, it was it was a family affair because both my parents skied. So, I, you know, I, I think at three years old, I, I didn't have much of a choice. <laughs> but uh, it was it was definitely my decision to, to pursue it. And I also very briefly played hockey because I wanted to play and, and I played soccer because my sister started playing soccer. So I wanted to play as well. So I, I'd say sort of 50, 50, of course, you know, your family has a lot of influence on what you do, but I was never sort of forced to do anything. Uh, I think probably there, there were times where my parents lived vicariously through me. And I, I think that's, that's perfectly normal, but never in the sense that because, I was doing something that they wanted and not what I wanted to do. You guys have a very close family. Do you think that closeness could be connected to the activities that you you were able to do together? I think so. Definitely the skiing was something that the the whole family, we came up every weekend together. Of course, when we got a little bit older and, and the sports got a little bit more competitive, everybody sort of gets into their own niche. 
and you find yourself traveling a lot. But definitely as a kid, it was, you know, it was, it wasn't even a thought for us that we'd come up, you know, we'd split off, but at the end of the day, we'd always, we'd always end up back together. And then, and then, like I said, with the soccer, um, I always went to my sister's games when I was like four or five years old when she was a little bit older and I would always go with my parents. So that sort of put me in the situation where, where I wanted to play the sport because my sister was doing it. So definitely there was, there was a connection with it, with the family being close to, to pushing us towards doing these sports, uh, these similar sports. Of course she, she was dancing a lot, which I had no interest in. Uh, actually, that's not completely true. I did dance for like three months one time. And, and then as soon as they tried making me buy the shoes, I, I stopped. So, so there's, <laughs> there's definitely a connection there, but yeah, no, it, it was, uh, I think being a tight knit family makes make a difference. And, and, because of the fact that we were so close and we would support each other, it pushed us all to basically keep pursuing something that we enjoyed and not feel like we were doing something we didn't want or that we had to do it. Why do you think you guys were and are so close? Is it something unique that your parents did? Is, is it an attitude that you and your sister had? I'm, wh- where do you think that, that comes from? The more I grow up, I realize that the attitude that we take ahead is, is so much ingrained from our parents. And it's like, sometimes I, I admit it. And sometimes I don't like to admit it that I'm a lot like my dad. And sometimes I find myself saying things that freaks me out how similar it is to, to your parents. And I think what it was growing up was we saw them always sort of doing stuff together. Like my parents were, were always skiing together. And, and then as kids, you sort of, you gravitate towards that and you see that they always wanted to do stuff. And as a kid, you know, you see, okay, well, my parents, regardless of, of how old you are, when you're, when you're young, you're so, you know, it's so easy to influence and you see your family wanting to spend time together. Then, you know, as a kid, you just, you go with it. And then that becomes, that becomes kind of part of your, your daily attitude, I guess would be a good way to put it. So, so for me now, it's, it's a little bit unique because we live sort of such crazy lives but because of the way we always kind of come back to spending time together, we can, we can go a long time without seeing each other, or even talking to each other. But when, when we do see each other, it's, it's, you know, it's like we still live, we all still live together. And I think that comes back to, we were never forced to do anything as kids. We just did it because we, that's what we wanted to do. And by never sort of making us do either a sport or, or any activity that we didn't actually want to do all our things we did together, we enjoyed. And then that, that kind of happiness of doing those things you liked made you always want to come back. And then because we did those things together, it, it just brought us naturally closer. And I think if we were put into things that we didn't want to do, then immediately it kind of throws a brick in it. And then you, you associate that with something that's un, unhappy. And if that unhappy has something to do that, with your family, then that's going to impact your, you know, your feeling towards the whole thing. And do you still ski with your parents? Yeah. I mean, they, uh, when they're up at trauma and I, I definitely still ski with my parents, but well, just last weekend we skied with, with you and, and, and Ellie and, 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 uh, and my parents. So definitely, you know, there, there were times when we didn't ski together very often, but at the same time, I guess I was never, because I grew up doing those things with my parents, you know how some teenagers and stuff are like embarrassed to be seen with their parents on at activities and stuff. And 
for whatever reason, I never kind of had that impression because a, a lot of my friends were skiing as well. And all my close friends, all their parents skied. So it, it kind of be, became like a community thing. And that, that never disappears. When you were doing the activities growing up, were your parents always present? Anytime they were available to be there, they'd be there. When you think about the influences during your youth, who do you think would be your your primary influence? Definitely, obviously, your parents have a huge influence, and and my my parents couldn't be more polar opposites. And I, I like to think that I, I take the best in both of them, but you could probably also argue that I take the worst in both of them. So you know, my mom's very relaxed, very laid back, and I think I have that personality for for certain things. But my dad. Is, is the complete opposite. He's very type A, very much, uh, if something starts at 7.30, you got to be there at 7. Hmm. So uh, I, I, di- I didn't take that from him. I took the, that part from my mom. But I think the, the what, I, what I took from him was the, when something needs to be done, I'm, I'm, I can't sort of think of anything else. I'm, I'm super determined to get that done, and, and I want it to be the, like absolute, absolutely perfect. Um, and that's definitely my, my dad's personality. When he, when he does something, it's, it's all out and nothing else matters kind of thing. And I, I definitely took that from him. And, and it sounds silly, but the, the fact that you grow up doing sports a lot, I would say a lot of the time your, your coaches and, and, and the people you're around, you end up actually taking a lot from and, and learning a lot of lessons from, you know, we're, we're talking about skiing and yeah, you're with your family, but by the time, from the time I was four or five years old, the two days I'd ski Saturday, Sunday wasn't with my parents. It was with my, it was with our coaches and a group of kids. Um, and I think the fact that, you know, and those, every single person I skied with when I was five years old, are still friends. We're still friends now. And I would count them as, as my best friends. And a lot of the coaches, you know, you, you, you keep in touch a little bit. So it's, it's a very, you, you actually take a lot from those, from those people because you're, you're, they're teaching you something and, and because of that, as a kid, you look up to them as well because, well, they're better than you. You know, they're 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 good at the sport that you you want to be good at. So, um, as much as you take a lot from your parents, that's kind of the cliche one. And but then the the non conventional one is definitely, I'd say, from from the coaches can have a big influence on on the way you sort of present yourself. I, I would think. And you mentioned uh, the friendships. I, I wanted to ask you about what kind of relationships you had outside of your family. It sounds like you had a a pretty good balance. Yep. The definitely um, the you know I'm I'm at the cottage right now. I'm, I'm looking at the pictures on the wall, and you know I can I can look at a picture from when I was three years old, and and one of my when we were all skiing together, and you know barely fitting into our snowsuits, and of the five people in the picture, I still regularly talk to, to three or four of them. So, um, you know, it's definitely, uh, and I think, I think sports does has that any sport has that influence that you, you know, you, you end up growing up with people and it's, uh, it's funny because it's, it's probably people that if you met now, you wouldn't be friends with because you didn't, you, you don't necessarily follow the, the same path paths in life, but you, you never, you would, you still consider them some of your best friends. And I think, you know, just any competitive setting and, and, and comparison to school, yeah, school friends, you have that, um, that bond with, with, with the people at school, but doing sports together, I, I think for me at least was definitely a completely different 
uh, a different dynamic between each other because you're, you're also you're together, but you're also competing against each other because you want to be better. <laughs> but that also creates, like, I, to me at least, a, a much stronger sort of bond than anything that I would I would think from you know a other other scenario. You hit on something there that I think is so true because, like, you know, the friends that we have from school, it's actually friends that are, I'm not going to say forced on us, but, you know, we are going to a school. These are going to be our friends because you're with them every day. And I also found, like, in my life, although I'm still friends with a lot of people from school, uh, but it's some of our best friends come from after where we start exploring a little bit more and, like, you know, playing sports or doing other things. And we meet other people that have those same interests as we do. Yeah, definitely. I, that's a that's a very good point. And and like you said, not not that they're forced on us, but you're there. You don't really have a choice but to, to be friends with them. But then be but then when you do sports or, or like say if you have hobbies and anything, those friends you you know, and not just with me, but you you see a trend that the, the people that you have so much more in common with, you end up having a much much stronger bond with them, regardless of of outside um, you know influences. You, you got into skiing at age three, and then you started racing, and then you mentioned that uh, you got into karting, and of course now yeah. you're, you're racing. What was the draw to, I guess, sports that pushed you towards speed? So that one, I, this one, I, I won't feel bad about, about putting my mom aside and fully blaming my dad for that. He raced cars when he was younger, and he ski raced when he was younger. So he, I definitely got that from him. When I was growing up, skiing was kind of what we did and and my dad had stopped racing when when me and my sister were born and then he sort of got involved in it a little bit when when i was when i was younger and i was i always kind of wanted to go with him and i and i obviously really liked it i think like the speed aspect of of it for me is i just i just enjoy it i think uh, a little bit a little bit of speed a little bit of a little bit of dangers is a lot of fun and I think that's just kind of my personality type. The what drew me to the car racing was definitely I always wanted to do it, and uh, I'll, I'll throw my mom under the bus here in that I didn't start till I was fourteen because she she didn't want me to. Hmm. She, uh, she she did she didn't like it. Um, she's accepted it now for the most part, but it was definitely uh, I definitely had to convince her a lot. I think we talked a lot. You talked earlier about parents living vicariously. I think she was worried that it was my dad pushing, pushing me to do it. So it took me a lot of convincing to be like, no, I want to do it. I want to do it. And eventually when I was, I started doing a little bit of driving and stuff when I was 12. And by the time I was 14 is when I started actually racing. And it was definitely, uh, it, it, uh, it was basically when my mom gave us the, the green light to go ahead and do it is, is when I, I sort of switched. And at the beginning it was, it was very sort of just for fun. Cause I was still skiing and skiing was my main sport. And then when I was 16, 17 years old, I had actually one of like my best seasons in skiing that I'd ever had. Won a couple races, like some some big races. And at the end of the year, I was more excited about my next kart race. When are we starting karting? I, I really want to do the the Canadian Nationals and, and a couple of big events. And it was going to interfere on my 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 summer training for skiing because normally we'd go to Chile for three to six weeks and perhaps go to France as well um, in the summer months. And I was basically, I didn't want to go because I was like, no, no, I can't, I can't miss the cart races. And that was sort of the tipping point for me to realize, okay, maybe, maybe this is what 
I should be doing because skiing was definitely becoming like a job at that point. I was skiing, you know, five, five, six days a week when I was in 11th grade, February and March put together and went to school two days. So it was, it was a full-time, you know, skiing 140 days a year. At that time, I said, if I already feel this way about it, that I'm not wanting to get up every day and, and do it, then you push to make a career out of it or, or you gotta, or do it amateurly and just sort of like housely, as they would call it. And I, obviously, if you haven't taken, figured that part out, I had no interest in just going and, and doing it at like a, just for fun thing. So I, I stopped and I, and I just went to skiing recreationally, not competing at all. And then I kind of put more of my, my time into, into karting at the time when I was right when I was 17 years old. Yeah. What, what is it about that, that activity that, that does it for you? Obviously it's just tons of fun. There's something about pushing anything to the absolute limit. And I think what I find the most challenging about car racing or karting for that matter is, is how a little tiny mistake can make all the difference in the world. When I played soccer, I was the goalie because I enjoyed having that extra pressure of being the last resort. But in a, in a normal team sport, you make a small mistake. You know, you have teammates to back you up. In some cases, that's worse because you're letting other people down. You know, I played tennis a little bit. And, and if you make a mistake in tennis, say, well, that's one point. It's not, it's not the end. But in skiing and, and car racing, for that matter, is that Every point is like your match point in tennis. Every every run is like if you if you make a mistake on on your run, well that's it. You just had the one run in skiing, and and in in racing you make a mistake, you know you you crash the car, and if you crash the car, well your race is over. And it's not like those sports where you have multiple chances. It's kind of if you make a mistake, it's over. And and it's actually I kind of really enjoy that that pressure and. Basically, what ends up comes out of it is that in, in car racing, especially because you know, obviously you're running the same track or same laps over and over again, you have extremely, extremely small differences or changes that can make all the difference in the world. You know, we're talking about a tenth of a second being worth three, four positions, and a tenth of a second is, is nothing. So that that precision of it and that that fact that every little thing matters. Um, just makes it such a, a big challenge. And, and to me, that's, that's part of the, the best. That's probably the best part of it to me is that good, good enough is not good enough. You love pushing yourself to the point where you either succeed or you fail. Some people that are striving for this, this perfection uh, are really hard on themselves when they don't achieve it. I find that the perfection is kind of a dangerous thing to pursue because if you don't achieve it, it could be a very difficult thing to move on from. You seem to move forward rather well. Why, why is it easier for you to move forward and not, you know, maybe take that pressure and be crushed by it? I've gotten a lot better at it. If I didn't have a bad race, you know, you would ask people and I'm, I could direct you to a few people in particular who would say, you couldn't, you'd have to stay away from me because <laughs> I was extremely hard on myself and, that was my biggest, my biggest problem growing up was that I would put too much pressure on myself and, you know, and because of, I wanted to win, like second place wasn't good enough. If I finished second, I was, I was angry and I was, I was, I was not happy. I think it took a lot of time to realize because when I was younger, it's like every single race is, 
the end of the world. If you don't win this one, like your life is over. And that was for me, like you said, it kind of comes off now as being, I'm not, I don't have that attitude, but I, I still do. And I think the biggest thing I learned was that you can, you can strive to be perfect in something. And, and when you're doing it, I think that allows you perhaps to, to push yourself a little bit further. I have, I have to realize that, you know, if something does happen, it's not the end of the world. You're going to, you're going to bounce back from it. And that resiliency um, allows you to sort of push yourself to try to be perfect, but remind yourself that, Hey, if, if it doesn't work out, a lot of things don't work out. And, and if you look at, anybody a lot of successful people they've had a lot of setbacks and as a kid you're just you you can't accept that and that transition to realizing that hey it's okay to make mistakes you can still strive for perfection but you also have to remind yourself that if you don't get it and you make a mistake it's not the end of the world then just use it as a learning opportunity and and you know just don't just don't make that same mistake again <laughs> mm-hmm. do you have any regrets in your youth i mean you always have regrets and there's, there's definitely things that you wish you'd done differently. And if you'd asked me that four years ago, I'd say, yeah, you know, I regret doing this. I regret doing that. And then now it's hard to pinpoint one thing because every, every one of those decisions that maybe I regret doing now, I look back at it and I think, you know what it was at the time, it was exactly what I wanted to do. And there was a reason for that. So, you know, I would say there was a point where I regretted stopping skiing, but then now I look at it and said, no, it's actually the best thing I ever did because it allowed me to pursue the, the, the car racing stuff. And basically when the karting or when, you know, kind of had a moment a few years ago where I didn't know if I was going to be able to continue car racing, I, I then started regretting the skiing. Cause I was like, okay, now this didn't work out. Why well, should have pursued that? And, but it also helped me make the decision to not stop racing. Cause I was like, I regret if I'm thinking I regret that decision, I'll always regret the decision now to not pursue the car racing. So I actually realized that that the moment of regret about the skiing pushed me to become, you know, to push that much harder in the car racing. And I think that it actually helped me. So now I think back of it, not as a regret. I think about it as, as a, something that I actually learned from because I don't want that feeling again of feeling like I left something too early. Was car racing all, always the dream? It was a dream and realistically it's one that I never actually thought was like possible. It was more like a <laughs> far-fetched dream. Ever since I was a kid, like there's pictures of me at like three years old wearing like race car slippers in one of those little, little Tykes trucks. So it's definitely something that's been, that's been with me for, for a very long time. Zach, it's, it's been fantastic. I've learned so much more about you through you talking about your youth. I want to ask you some, some final questions, quick answer questions. Okay. Um, and then I'm going to pass it over to Vince. Last minute questions before we do that. What was your biggest fear as, uh, in your youth? A failure. <laughs> Definitely. What would be your biggest accomplishment in your youth? I actually really don't know. I, I would say to me, what my favorite part of it when I think about it as a kid was just the fact that I challenged myself so much. And because of that, I think that's helped me become the person I am because I always push myself to be, to be the best. So I would say my biggest accomplishment was that kind of chip on my shoulder. I always had, because it allowed me to basically do what I enjoy today. 
What's thing, one thing that you haven't accomplished yet that you really want to accomplish? I want to race at Le Mans in a 24-hour race. And if yeah. you can have uh, dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would you have dinner with? Uh, where would you go? And what would you want to talk about? I'd, you know, I'd probably say, <laughs> which is, which is kind of unique, but James Hunt, who was like cliche playboy Formula One driver, but he his mentality and his approach to it was so different. I, it would just be so so fun to sort of hear how how he approached racing because you know race car drivers kind of they either get two labels they're either playboy or they're super serious you know your sponsor thrown guy um who, who names out all the sponsors and it's very very straight you know perfectly t- shirt tucked in and he was the complete total opposite of that and and yet he found himself you know as world champion one year so it'd be i think it would just be tons of fun and uh where where to do it? I, I would. Oh, I don't. Somewhere at a racetrack, I guess, because then that just means you can go racing the next day. And when I say the word Canadian, what does that mean to you? Oh, to me, that's that's very much who I am. I mean, Canada to me is, is where I brought. I I I, I was obviously I grew, grew up here, but you know all those stereotypes about Canada. Like I just I kind of love them, you know, and and that that aspect of, of what being Canadian is to me is, is, is great. Like, yeah, we say sorry all the time and yeah, we say a, but you know, we're, we're just kind of, we have that cliche token of being like these nice people. And, and to me, it's like, Oh, that's a great thing to have. And like, I want to be that cliche, nice Canadian person. So for me, it, it's, it's something. And, and at the same time, it's almost like we have a chip on our shoulder because we're, oh, we're just Canada. And because of that, you know, we always have something to prove and, and that's kind of the way I approach stuff too. I always, I always have something to prove and, and just being, Oh, he's just the Canadian kid. Well, that's, yes, I am. And, and we're going to show you why, why Canada's so good. <laughs> and if there was one type of car that you haven't driven, but you want to, what, what car is it? Well, we're going to, we're going to go to an old car. It was the old, uh, Porsche GT1, which was from the late 90s. And to me, it was the coolest car, the coolest looking car ever. Um, that to me would be the, the just like ultimate childhood dream to, to drive that car. It raced at Le Mans in the late 90s. And, and because of a kind of unique rule set, they created these very cool looking cars. And there's always something as a kid, it was, that was sort of the dream car. And it's, it's always sort of remained in, in, in the back of my head. And last question, I know you've, you've driven Porsches for quite some time now. Why is that the car that you love to drive? The one thing about Porsche is that in all their cars and in everything they've ever done, it's always been like no compromise. They never do anything half. If they do something, they're going to do it to win. They're, they're going to build a car, not just to, to fill the field with, with a car. They're going to go and they're going to go to win. And they're going to take it super seriously. And that sort of aspect of just any car they've built has always been well if we're going to make it it's going to be the best and it it resonates with me as being well if i'm going to do something i want to be the best at it and and just as a kid obviously you know you see them and and it's kind of this this dream car and 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 then you find yourself attached to the brand that you always kind of loved as a kid so it's it's for me it's 
obviously it was like a childhood dream. And then once you find yourself in a situation with it, you, you don't want to let it go because you see that you, you know, you associate so much with, with all those little things about them that just pushes you to keep going. It sounds like you're definitely in the right car because Zach Robichon yeah. seems synonymous with everything that Porsche stands for. It ended up being a good fit, I'd say. <laughs> I agree. How can people learn about you, Zach? How can they connect? How can they follow you? You know, you can you can check out my website, which is zachrobichon.com, or you can follow me on Instagram or, or Twitter and Facebook at zrobichon. I do my best to, to keep everybody updated what's going on with the racing and stuff. And you can contact me through my website or, or through the Instagram. And, and I, I'm always happy to talk to some people about, about racing. Zach, yeah. thanks, thanks again for taking the time to, to speak to me. And thanks for giving me a, a better perspective of you. Now, uh, I'm excited to turn it over to my good friend, Vince Scotty, who's going to take this conversation sideways. Hi, Zach. I just want to say thank you for being on the show. Here we go into part two. My pleasure. Before we begin, I just want to share a story with you, uh, just a little bit about my introduction to car racing. Well, when I was young, one of my first jobs was selling ice cream, and that was at the Circuit Gilles Villeneuve. I was about 16 or 18. My gym teacher had a concession where he hired students to uh, sell ice cream at the track during the summer. And I remember just being out there, going up and down the aisles, and the moment I started hearing the roar of the engines and see them just zipping by, I didn't sell any ice cream. I think always at the end of the day, I'd go back, I'd actually buy all my own ice cream, just eat it and watch the race, and uh, go back and just say, here you go, not such a good day. But I just fell in love with it at that moment. I really loved the the whole atmosphere of everything it's from the roar of the engine right to the smell of the gasoline i always thought it would be good cologne one of these days <laughs> i know if you guys would buy it so let's dive into it how did this all get started for you what was the progression yeah so i started started karting when i was started racing when i was 14 i spent about two years kind of just driving around in my, my dad's old cart so 14 years old i raced in a junior category then moved up to the, the senior ranks i kept karting until i was I was 20. So in 2012 was my last year racing karts. I, that year I went and competed at the world championships, finished top 10 in the, in, in the world and in, in my class. And then after that, I moved into uh, open wheel formula cars. What uh, age were you though, when you won the championships in karting, how old were you at that point? The championship I won was 20, 2010. So I would have been 18. And then when I went to the world championships, I'd finished second in, in Canada. So I was, I was, 1920 at the time and were you traveling or are you traveling around a lot for that for the karting i was spending time in florida in the winter and then just eastern canada through the summer so it wasn't a huge travel schedule but it, it was relatively busy and and actually most of the guys i was racing against were some of them were younger because most of the guys who race carts actually start like seven eight years old so i was kind of kind of behind the eight ball on that whole whole progression a few years older than everybody I was racing against especially once I moved into to formula cars and, and sports cars can, can you describe how it felt to be kind of the older guy on the block racing those young guys I mean did you feel like you had much more to prove or was it you know just focused on the race at hand I think it helped me in in a way because you know I don't necessarily consider myself the most mature person in the world but 
you, you find yourself maybe being a little bit more mature than, than the kids around you. And, and, you know, I spoke about a lot about having that, that pressure and, and, and everything and how I often put a lot of pressure on myself. And by, by the time I moved into formula cars and then into sports cars, I had sort of realized that like, Hey, like this is a lot of fun. Like you, you're really in a special situation. And I think because of that, that sort of feeling, it actually helped me a lot because I had, you know, I was going to school, I was, I was, I was doing my university degree and I was, I was a lot more relaxed because of it, because I enjoyed what I had and just take it for what it is. It's, it's special. And because I was a few years older, I realized how lucky I was to be doing it and, and being able to pursue that career path. So I think that that extra sort of maturity of, of just enjoying yourself actually actually made me a better driver. What were you doing in university? What were you taking? So I did my I did my undergrad at the University of Ottawa in uh, economics. I did a specialization in economics with a with a minor in business. And then I went and did my my master's degree in international economics and finance from Ryerson University. Is that something that, I mean, going towards finance and economics, that's something that you, that was always uh, pulling you as well? I think it was, it was something that intrigued by money and not just like the idea of making a lot of money, but just kind of the, I like the fluctuation. Like I always thought like the markets were interesting. And, and the one thing that I always thought was cool was how like, you know, I never quite understood the kid as a kid, like how, why, our Canadian dollar wasn't worth the same as like an American dollar and stuff. And then that kind of sort of created, you know, a path. I tried doing engineering and I just wasn't, I didn't enjoy it and, and it didn't go so well. So I moved into, <laughs> moved into economics that failure. <laughs> so let, let's go back. Okay. So you're doing the karting. You're about 18, 19 years old. And just tell me about, I mean, just for the people who don't know karting, what does a kart comprise of? What is the power of it? What is the speed? You know, break it down for me a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So a, a go-kart is, is, it looks like what you think it looks like. It's, you go to your local rental place and the difference is, you know, those, the ones that your local rental are, are limited to, you know, between, depending on the tracks and depending on where you are, between 30 kilometers an hour and 70 kilometers, kilometers an hour. And a, a race cart has much stickier tires. Um, it has a lot less body work, so it's much lighter. And the classes I was competing at, you know, you have up to 40 horsepower compared to the ones that you were thinking of have six horsepower. So obviously wow. you're talking about a power to weight ratio that's comparable to like a Formula One car. The sort of the famous thing is that like a shifter cart, which is the highest level of fastest level of car racing was zero to hundred kilometer an hour back to zero in under four seconds. So that's up to hundred then back down in four seconds. So, you know, whereas like a high performance sports car, is zero to hundred in four seconds. Whereas now you're doing that and then stopping again because the carts are so light. Um, they have a top speed of about 150 kilometers an hour. And uh, obviously depending on the track and stuff. So they, they're, they're pretty brutal little, little machines. And they're also, uh, they're tons of fun. And because they're so, so small and, and so kind of pointy because you have no suspension, your suspension is basically your body. So it's, it's, uh, it's a great training ground. And actually a lot of the formula one drivers still use, you know, and in all forms of car racing, karting is kind of how they train because it's so expensive to go practice. Cheapest way to do it is, is to go play around in a go-kart. And I'll find myself as well. Um, just sort of training and having fun with it because you, you can always learn something when you're driving. It's so true. Like I remember watching a documentary about uh, Ayrton Senna and I think in it, one of the main points that they were talking about was how much he loved karting. Like it was really yeah. his passion. Absolutely. He was, he was one of the biggest, actually one of the interviews, which was ended up being a relatively famous interview was uh, they asked him like, what's your, 
who was the, your greatest competitor? And they're obviously expecting him to say like Alain Prost or somebody that he was racing against. And he pulls out this name of a guy who used to race in carts. And he's like, it's the only person I've never beaten. You know, it's because karting is so competitive. And you also have these guys, like one of my really good friends who's three-time world champion in, in karting. And, you know, you have these guys who kind of become like a master of the trade and, and they don't do anything else. Whereas when, when you're younger, you're racing against these guys. And it's, you know, it's like basically going if you were racing against somebody who's like at a professional caliber in 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 car racing obviously you you take the progression up into that level but you're jumping right into it because there are guys who make a career out of car racing so you have a level of competition that uh, is likely not going to be seen unless you pursue car racing to the highest level so cool so we go from karting and you're going in like 40 horsepower vehicle um then what is the progression from there you step up into what so I, I stepped up. There's there's a number of ways to do it, but the way I did it was I went into uh, Formula 1600 or Formula Ford, which is basically the best way to think about it is if you know nothing about car racing, imagine like a Formula One car. Everybody knows what a Formula One car looks like. Take the wings off of it, so that big front wing, that big rear wing, take that off and then put skinnier wheels on it. And then obviously you have a lot less horsepower. So, you know, it almost looks like a bathtub on wheels and it's a very simple very simple form of motorsports and it's basically the first progression into open wheel car racing but it's also a great learning ground i I think of that when you say those vehicles i think of those old movies like it it sounds like those uh cars from the 40s or 30s you know let's like say it's a bathtub with four wheels and it almost looks like that yeah that's it's a great great way to put it okay so what age are you racing those cars right there you're talking about so i started racing those when i was 21 in 2013 i actually spent three years racing those cars and i dabbled a little bit in other in other forms of racing such as formula 2000 which is basically a similar looking car but now you have the wings on it so think of it just as like a small indie car or small formula one car also to put things in perspective can you give me a little bit of a breakdown on the costs in karting you can spend as much as you want in the sense that you can buy a brand new go-kart for about eight to ten thousand dollars and depending on where you race it you can spend from a hundred dollars a weekend to ten thousand dollars a weekend if you want so you know in a, in a high high level kart racing you're looking at ten to twenty thousand dollars a weekend um if wow. you're racing at the biggest championships in the u.s which we never did because there was no way we were spending that much money to race a go kart. um how big are your crews that, that you're racing with right now your crew our crew for daytona which was a 24-hour race we had four drivers and we had 22 crew members do you have co-drivers so in, I do now in the endurance series. So I have one full-time co-driver that we're doing the full season. Um, and then for the long races, we add some drivers. So for the 24-hour races, we're four. For the 12, 6, and 10-hour races, we're three. And then anything less than three hours, we're two drivers. How does that work? I mean, how, does it, how do you split up the driving time between the drivers? How's the choice made between who drives when? Yeah, so... Everybody has a minimum drive time. You usually put the the more experienced driver, the guy who's done the most races at that level, to finish the race because they might know their competitors a little bit better. But generally, during the race, you're just kind of doing a rotation. You know, you'll you'll change the order based on what's happening. So, like for example, like at our last race, it was raining, and I was only supposed to do 50 minutes. I'm quite comfortable in the rain, so they said, "Okay, like, do you mind staying out for another hour?" So I ended up doing the first two hours and 20 minutes of the race when I was only supposed to be in the car for 50 minutes because, okay, it's going well and it's always a constant change. So of those 22 crew members, one of ours is a strategist and he's basically just 
doing math the whole time and figuring out what's best. Is there competition amongst you, amongst the, you and the other drivers? Yeah, definitely. You know, you, your, your greatest competitor is your teammate because you know he has the same equipment as you. You, if you've been doing it for a long time, it's always only been you. And then going into endurance racing, it's it's very different because it's very much a team sport now. So you have to kind of put your own ego aside. But at the end of the day, you still want to be the fast of your teammate. I find that interesting because what we talked about on uh, youth a lot was how, you know, like the team sports weren't for you. And then, you know, you really yeah. like to just be on your own because I guess many in many ways you know, if you make a mistake, it's nobody to blame but yourself, you know? So yep. like, and so race driving is that, but then you're doing racing as a team and it, there's yeah. another aspect to it. What does that give you that, you know, just racing on your own doesn't? To me, it pushes me to be better because you want to be as quick, if not quicker than your teammates. So because of that, you actually, you, have, you raise your level even more and it, it helps you become better because in the same way that you want to be perfect when you're racing against everybody else, you want to be absolutely perfect when you're driving for your teammates so that when they get in the car, they're in the best possible situation. So still when you're in the car, you know, you're, it's about the team. It's about what you have to do, but it's still a personal challenge. What are some of the top speeds that you're getting on the track in those cars? Yeah, it, it, it all depends on the track, but uh, you're, you're looking at anywhere between 260 kilometers an hour to 290. I mean, Daytona, your top speed is about 285. And then you're going from 285 to like, 65 um, for the corner, but you have corners that you take 250 kilometers an hour, whereas you have some that you take at 50 kilometers an hour. It's really just dependent on, on, on the track itself. This might be an odd question. Uh, how, how would you break down, like say the, the crew, the car company and the driver in a sense, how would they, those components contribute to the success of the race? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Like, because yeah, def definitely. So, I mean, each manufacturer, each car is going to have specific strengths and weaknesses. Um, so there's going to be certain tracks where you know when you get there, it's like, hey, the best we can do is fourth. Because for whatever reason, you know, the track suits a Mercedes and, and something. So, you know, you can work together as your team and be ex over the moon if you finish third or fourth. And then at another race, uh, you know, if the track suits the Porsche, if you don't finish on the podium you're going to think it's a disappointment because the car should have been performing at that level at that race. Even more so is that different sections on the track, the car has to be good. So, you know, we, you need to make your passes at the right time because, you know, if you go to a certain track where, I don't know, there's a BMW who's really fast on the straightaway. So, you know, that if you pass them just before the straight, they're just going to pass you back immediately. Whereas, you know, we're really good in the technical section. So you got to pass them early on in the technical section to get enough of a gap that he can't pass you in the straightaway. So, you know, there, there's, it, it creates a whole different dynamic and every type of car you need to race differently because every car is strong in a different part. And then the crew is so important because the setup of the car is extremely important. So we were talking about, you know, we're talking about gaining a 10th of a second, but the setup of the car can be worth a second. So, a tenth of a second is worth is worth three four positions a tenth well, then, of a second know. that's just incredible seriously yeah a tenth of a second oh, yeah. very tight so you know the, the setup on the car is super important and the same same thing goes for our pit stops you know we have a pit crew and you know we do depending on the race we do anywhere between two or three pit stops to 28 pit stops you know at, at daytona for a 24-hour race so and if you're 
you're fighting your tooth and nail for two tenths a lap and then you lose five seconds in the pits. Well, you know, so the, the team is extremely important. And, you know, if you can gain a second in pit lane because of the team, like that's, you know, that's maybe a second you never would have been able to gain. So that, that teamwork aspect and every single aspect of the team is, is, is super important. Tell me a little bit, what does racing do for you that nothing else in your life does? It puts you in a situation where you can absolutely push yourself to the absolute maximum. And it requires like a focus that, that nothing else does because there's so much happening. You know, you're, you're driving, you're going so fast, you know, you're, you're inches away from, from walls, from grass. And it, and it compared to other sports, for example, it, it doesn't have, it has a level of, uh, precision and, and focus that isn't necessarily required and you can't, it can't falter. I also, the th- cool thing I always loved about car racing is that there's an evolution in the race itself. Like, you know, what's happening in the first 30 minutes with the amount of cars that are on the track is totally different than what's happening in the last 30 minutes where everybody's more spread out. Yeah, definitely. And, and strategy plays a huge role, right? So you have tire conservation, you have fuel, fuel management are you trying to save fuel and then and that's something that's really cool and in the endurance racing that i'm doing now is that these these factors the fuel the the tires that's something that is very very important and it's actually new um to me in this type of racing and it just adds additional things you have to think about so where is everything going from here what's the next steps for you yeah i mean so so you know i find myself in in a great situation right now running running the endurance championship that i've always wanted to run as a kid um, if, if I could continue on in this series, you know, I'd be, I'd be super happy, honestly. And, and if I could throw in some of those races in Europe, the iconic races like, like Le Mans specifically, and, and there's a couple other ones like the Nürburgring 24 hour race and, and put in a couple of those, you know, those are dream kind of bucket list races. But, um, you know, where I'm at right now is, was kind of like people dream of playing in the NHL Well, I dreamed of racing in this series. And, yeah. and, you know, you find yourself there and it's, you know, even now I, I have trouble believing that I'm, I'm actually there. Very cool. And what's going on when you're not racing? Yeah. So, I mean, when I'm, when I'm not racing, I help run a, a small company that we run, uh, we run basically experiential drive events. So we do, uh, we do the Porsche experience in Canada. So we run over a hundred event days a year. Um, with brand new Porsche cars, we we do ice driving, so we teach people to basically drift on ice in brand new Porsches. And then we do, yeah, we have travel experiences and as well as a track experience where we teach people how to drive on 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 racetracks in in brand new cars. So there's there's lots of experiences that can allow you to kind of touch and feel what it's like to be a race car driver. You know, Zach, listening to you describe everything from racing and also from the part one of the podcast where you talk about you know, your youth and how you got into it. It really sounds like racing is your passion, but you also approach it as the most fun thing that you can do. And I think that in life, that's what's important. Once you get that balance, that's real success. I I would agree. I think uh, for me, it's very much like a dream come true as a kid to, to do what I'm doing. And there's, there's lots of opportunities to do different things in, in, in life. And, and for me, it was, I was presented with the opportunity. I, I kind of created my opportunity to do something I enjoy. And because of that, you, you find yourself working harder than I think I ever would have in, in any other situation because I enjoy it so much. So 
It's something that's so true because every one of our guests, I think everything that's kind of happened is that everybody has talked to that same point, loving what you do. It just flows. And for some reason, it just kind of works out in some type of way. Yeah, it's, you know, it was funny. I was having a conversation with, with somebody just last week and it was things kind of have a weird way of working out. You know, this is kind of the perfect situation is find something and if you really like it and it's what you really want to do, I would guess that you're going to find a way to make it work. 